Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to the Fabulously Keto Podcast. This is episode 28. And this week we are interviewing a good friend, uh, Australian, fellow Australian, Richard Morris. I know both Jackie and I were having this fangirl moment as we were really <laughs> excited to have Richard on the podcast this episode. Um, a little bit of a squeal um, when when we started recording as I know Jackie will share with me that we were both influenced by Richard, um, who is one half of the two keto dudes. Yeah. So Jackie, um, yeah, we were really privileged to have Richard on the podcast this week. Yeah, it was a real, it was very special. Yeah, very good. And uh, I did, I did have to control my fangirl moments. <laughs> So I know that um, Richard and Carl, as they were the two keto dudes, um, when they started their podcast, it was actually both Jackie and I, you know, you really drew on the knowledge and the journey of both Richard and Carl um, in in listening each week as we did uh, to their podcast and um, how beneficial their podcast was in terms of our own journeys. And the spin-off of the two keto dudes was obviously where Jackie and I met through the Keto Woman podcast with our good friend Daisy Brackenhall as well. So um, mm. Richard's role in influencing um, influencing not only ourselves and our journey, but others has has actually you know been such a great contribution to the keto community. Yeah, and and not just people's journeys, but well, it's still part of their journey. But the friendships that spring up, like for example, who would have thought that you and I would become such good friends. We, we were just inconceivable three years ago. That's right. And I think that um, I've had the privilege of meeting Richard a number of times at conferences as well as volunteering as I did at the two keto fests as well as, you know, meeting him here in Australia as well. You know, being being a not just an influencer in the keto community but a good good mate, as we say, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's such a privilege to have. So for those that don't know Richard, Jackie, why don't you tell us a bit more about Richard and who he is? So Richard is a 55-year-old software developer and biochemist who once built financial systems to expose risk on Wall Street and has worked on systems from industrial robots to payroll. At 38, he was the public-facing chief executive of a major US software component company when he discovered he had type 2 diabetes. At 40, he retired and returned to Australia to devote his time into learning about type 2 diabetes. He reversed his type 2 diabetes with his own ketogenic diet six years ago. 
With Carl Franklin, he founded the Two Keto Dudes podcast with over 250,000 monthly downloads and the International Keto Fest event to help popularise the intervention as a treatment for type 2 diabetes. At 52, Richard went back to school to study biochemistry. He graduated in 2020. He's now working as a student researcher in a computational chemistry lab, working towards a PhD. So let's roll the tape, Jackie. Welcome, Richard, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Thank you, Jackie. So we like to start off by asking, where in the world are you? I'm in Canberra, Australia. It's uh, midnight Thursday, the uh, 18th of December. <laughs> yeah, and Louise is in Thailand. What time have you got, Louise? I've just got just after 8 o'clock my time. So we're really grateful that Richard has agreed to, to join us. He didn't have to join us so late, but um, I suppose I'm when you're living... Elf. Yep, he's a night owl and he's been hashtag living the student life. Um, so he's been burning the candle at both ends as he's been, um, been studying. But, um, certainly in Australia now, the academic year is finished. So you're celebrating. Yep. Today, it finished today. So I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating with a nice glass of 16 year old Lagavulin. <laughs> so sounds well good. Deserved. <laughs> so Richard, um, we're, both of us, I think, both Jackie and I have admitted to fangirling um, from a distance, and I've had the pleasure of meeting Richard a couple of times, so um, yeah, yeah. our keto pathways have, have crossed. But I think mm -hmm. we wanted to start um, back at, you know, your story and, um, and mm -hmm. where it all began. Yeah, so um, I was working in America. I'm a software developer, or I was a software developer. Um, uh, that's a little bit of foreshadowing because I'm in the process of changing my career. Uh, but I was working in America running software businesses. I worked on Wall Street writing software to expose credit risk. Um, this was in the 2000, 2001 time frame. Uh, so I, I was living in America for eight years in total uh, and uh, I became uh, type 2 diabetic. In fact, it was uh, I was uh, technically classified as pre-diabetic because uh, I had one uh, to become fully frank to uh, frank type two diabetic. You have to ha have two diagnostic events that that um, show that your blood glucose is uh, within the type two diabetes range, and so I only had one. Uh, and the reason why I only had one is because this was in two thousand and four, right during the second Atkins revolution, and this was a time in America where the Atkins diet was getting popular again. It was it was. Um, uh, shortly before the death of, of Robert Atkins. And uh, so um, there were uh, entire aisles in the supermarket in America with, that, that had low-carb foods. So it was, it was really, it's really quite popular. And so uh, at the time I, I, I was diagnosed with diabetes and um, uh, at least with pre-diabetes, I had one bad result. And there was for sure... I, the next checkup in three months' time, I was going to get another bad result. And so um, I decided, well, let's have a look at this uh, uh, Atkins thing. And I went on Atkins induction for three months. And at the end of that, I had a non-diabetic uh, blood glucose um, uh, diagnosis. So essentially the doctor said, well, it was a blip. We're not sure why, but, you know, it looks like you're fine. So just whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Now, I that sort of didn't make any sense to me. Why would I have a blip? Why would I suddenly become diabetic and, and, and um, 
and then change my diet and then all of a sudden not become diabetic. And so that sort of registered in the back of my head, you know, maybe there's something to that. But um, anyway, long story short, I I uh, semi-retired at age 40 in 2006 and came back to Australia. Um, and I was intending just to... to, to um, uh, live cheaply uh, on the beach in Australia, learn to cook, uh, get myself fit, um, do some exercise and work on myself. And um, uh, I had no other big plans other than to try and, you know, uh, I'd, I'd been burning the candle at both ends for, for 20 years in my career. And so I, I thought, you know, let's um, have a time to, to to focus on myself a little bit. And um uh, so I, gradually over time, I stopped eating Atkins um, induction. I was uh, adding more carbs to my to my diet, and and um, but I was eating healthy vegetables and fruit. And, you know, eating eating quote unquote healthy. I'm using air quotes here. <laughs> and um, my uh, uh, I I I had a um, uh, an ingrown toenail went to the doc went to the emergency room with an ingrown toenail that had gotten quite uh, nasty uh, and the doctor said well that's really awful that's um going septic and and you know if you can't control your blood glucose and i don't think you can then that toe may have to come off and that was like a <laughs> that's the kind of moment that will sit you back on your bum and um and I thought, wait a minute, I thought I'd cured myself of diabetes by eating Atkins. Well, I wasn't eating Atkins by that point. So um, so anyway, that's what got me got me started. And my doctor wanted to put me on metformin, then he wanted to put me on um, uh, more advanced um, uh, anti-glycemics and then eventually on insulin. He said, this is an inevitable pro- uh, progress. It's, you know, this happens. Everybody starts out just on metformin and we slowly increase the the drugs that we're going to give you and try and hold off diabetes for as long as we can. And um, at the same time, I uh, uh, ran into a video by Tim Noakes. Um, he was talking in Cape Town uh, in the debate against Jacques Rousseau. And um, uh, and and so uh, he was talking about his epiphany when he discovered uh, the work of Stephen Finney. Uh, and that got me onto Stephen Finney's work, um, got me onto the ketogenic diet, and long story short, I went ketogenic and reversed my type 2 diabetes. Excellent. What year was the ingrown toe um, when you went to the hospital? So that, that yeah, um, uh, I don't recall the, I think it was in 2014. So, because I went, it would have been like February 2014. And um, I went fully keto on April the 20th in 2014. And, right. uh by, so that was uh, in April, and uh, by August I had normal blood glucose. I'd gone up to 8.5 um, uh, uh, HbA1c. Um, I, by, within three months, uh, my HbA1c was like 5.8, and then by November it was 5.2, and it's been 5.2 for ever since. So that's since November of 2014. So between 2006, when you returned to Australia, then to, to 14. You obviously, mm. you know, you you said that there was that change. You know, you were getting fit. You had the personal trainer. Yep. You were learning how yep. to cook. I but was, slowly, I was, obviously, increasingly becoming more diabetic then. Yeah. Yes. And I think this is something that uh, traditionally we, 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 are, we think of type 2 diabetes as a geriatric disease that, you know, people used to get in their 60s and it slowly gets worse. Um, but everybody's on that. That particular um, 
uh, that particular slippery slope. And uh, where you are on that slope depends on your genetics, it depends on the, the environment, your diet particularly. And, um, and, so, and you can move up or down that slope. Uh, we thought that once you're on the slope, you only go downhill. But in fact, um, on a ketogenic diet, you actually go uphill and, and you do it rather quickly. So, um, mm. yeah, uh, but, it, it, but from 2006 to 2008, uh, you know, I, I, we did a Winnebago trip around Australia, um, and I can remember when we were in the Winnebago, we used to uh, we used to cook a lot of pasta, um, and uh, I can remember eating Whitaker's peanut bars every day for for dessert. So I was definitely going off uh, induction Atkins in a big way, but I was eating a lot of fresh, healthy food, and you know, quote unquote, using the air quotes, uh, healthy. Um, and uh, I was drinking, you know, we were visiting wineries and so, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd pick up some cheese and pick up some, some quince paste and a bottle of wine and, you know, that, there's a lot of glucose in quince paste and I was having a lot more quince paste than I was having cheese, you know. <laughs> so eventually I was put on a, a diet by my PT, my personal trainer. I was going four, day, four, four days a week uh, to the PT and eventually he put me on a diet which is a grapefruit diet, which is... Uh, a lot of fruit and um, and it's calorie restriction. It's a classic calorie restriction diet, trying to hide the calorie restriction by changing things up on a regular basis and getting you disciplined. and And I lost a bit, a little bit of weight, but that was the point where uh, my ingrown toenail happened. So, yeah, by that point, when I finally then checked my sugar again, all of a sudden I was it was out of control, mm. and it just snuck up on me. It's so very easy it? for it to sneak up. Yeah. Absolutely. But for you, was it the mix of genetics or was it environment for you? So for, you know, with a family history of diabetes or yep. was it just purely because of the, you know, the intense stress of working in corporate America? So um, for many years, I, I have a special superpower that I can survive and thrive on about five and a half hours of sleep every night. Apparently, I can appear to thrive. In fact, I you know, I, I become slowly more and more metabolically deranged when I do that, and I think we—I think most humans do. We're not meant to to, to short change ourselves on sleep, but you know, in this modern world, uh, you know, with uh, screens and with lights and with um, um, sort of um, stimulation, sort of you know, through television and what have you, late into the night, we end up having less and less sleep. And I, I suspect that that may have been a greater environmental trigger than that the amount of carbohydrates I ate I think the amount of the amount of calories that I ate that caused me to gain weight and the amount of carbohydrates that I ate that caused me to eat so many calories both of those were lesser triggers than than short change really burning the candle at both ends short changing myself on mm. sleep yeah I went for many years where I was just sleeping on average about five hours a night yeah and it's it's not good no, but now, it, it, I mean, commercially, it's a superpower because it means that if, if I'm up against a competitor and we're both programming code and he has to have eight hours of sleep at night, you know, I have an, adva- I have a te- I have an advantage of an extra two and a half hours that he doesn't have access to. So, you know, yeah. yeah. But my and question is, well, my, and my question was, you know, more about the quality of that work. So you might actually have that superpower of, you know, running on, on five and a half hours sleep, but is the extra two and a half hours that you have over your competitor, are you still producing quality work? Yeah. 
Well, I in this case, my career was progressing, so it was adequate. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I can I can produce adequate I can produce adequate work without a lot of sleep, which that's the superpower. Is uh, it doesn't seem to affect the quality of my work, but it did affect the quality of my health. Hmm. So then you changed your way of eating mm-hmm. and started to. I guess you were dropping weight as well as your HbA1c. Yes, absolutely. And so, how did you? Um, connect with Carl again, or were you still in contact with him? How did that all that come to be? So that happened a couple of years later. So we started the two keto dudes um, thing uh, in I think 2016. We started, and so what happened was I'd been keto for two years, and I was thriving. And I was telling people on Facebook, um, you know, this what you're being told about what is good and what isn't good to eat may be wrong because I've apparently eaten everything that I'm not supposed to eat and I'm getting healthier um, with a disease that people say only gets worse. So, you know, that, (laughs) and so I was, I was kind of doing victory laps on Facebook and, um, and all my friends saw it, but nobody actually said anything about it. You know, they just, you know, it's just Richard being a dick again, (laughs) Um, telling, telling us that he can eat all this fat and we're not allowed to eat any of it because, we get in trouble, and so um, what happened was uh, one of uh, uh, one of our uh, common friends, Mark Miller, used to be my employee um, at when I was in working in Las Vegas, and uh, he was uh, for many years on a on a podcast with Carl. Um, one of our, our common friends um, was diagnosed with uh, with uh, prostate cancer, and he'd read the work of. Well, about a bunch of work, but but uh, you know, a bunch of studies um, on uh, how uh, uh, tumor cells don't thrive in it, th- require glucose to thrive, and so um, a ketogenic diet and and um, so sort of uh, oxygen therapy and um, exogenous ketones in combination would. Um, you know, hyperbaric oxygen therapy and exogenous ketones in combination seems to have an effect. And so he wanted to try this out. And he knew I was a keto. And so he approached me and said, how do you do keto? Because um, I'm thinking about doing it in the context of a treatment for, for cancer. And I, I, I gave him as much information as I could. And, and Mark said, you know, um, Carl's coming around. And Carl's a big lad. Uh, and Carl's coming around and he's going to cook pizzas for us. And I said, well, I've happen to know a really good recipe that's actually a better recipe for pizza than the the one that uses flour and uh so carl and i uh, carl and i had met many times we, we knew each other uh, uh but essentially it was through mark that we that we started talking about keto and um and carl's a, a good cook and so he uh, he saw the obvious uh, opportunity uh, of uh, going keto himself to see if that could help with his weight. And uh, being a cook, you know, it meant that he, he had the ability to do it. There was nothing, gonna, nothing necessarily that would stop him from that point of view. So uh, he went keto and then um, within two weeks of him starting to go keto, uh, he approached me and said, look, um, I, need some, I need a bit of support to, to stick me to this this particular diet. So uh, why don't we do a podcast together? Carl was a professional podcaster and he theorized that, you know, if I, if I do a podcast about keto, then it's going to force me to actually follow through. Um, and uh, I said, sure, not a problem, but let's do 10. <laughs> so I've, I've, I committed to 10 podcasts and I think we've done over 200. So Yeah. And it's really interesting because obviously, you know, that's where 
where I met you through the Two Keto podcasts mm-hmm. and the Facebook group yep. and all that sort of thing, that mm-hmm. your role as what I would call, air quotes, an influencer, how do you perceive mm-hmm. yourself as that sort of influence in the in the keto world? So um, I, I really wasn't heading out to be an influencer. I wasn't heading out to be uh, d- deciding to be anything. I was just uh, telling people what I did. And uh, we just extended that in the podcast. So I was telling Carl what I did, and then I was telling the rest of the world what I did. And it was the it was the process of doing that, which is an entirely natural thing. Here's what I did. It's worked for me. Here's why I think it works. Um, here's some other people who might have a, have an opinion, an interesting opinion on it. It was the process of doing that turned out to influence you know tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, so, you know, the, the, I didn't set out to be an influencer. Um, the influencing life chose me, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Just a process. Yes. So, I mean, really, it, 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 it's a matter of, uh, of doing what you like doing and becoming good at it. And the world will see you, uh, or will, will basically uh, flock towards your your message. So, um, you know, that's really it. I mean, I ketogenic diet works for me. Um, it's enabled me to reverse my my type two diabetes. Um, and I mentioned before, I've had a, a career change. It made it made me interested in biochemistry. I I did half of a pure math degree in the when I was eighteen um, in the in the eighties in the early eighties, and um, and I'd focused on this, uh, on being a software developer, being very successful at it. And and all of a sudden I became interested in biochemistry because biochemistry um, is much more complicated than software. And I got into software because I like complexity. I like working with complexity. And so I, I found an irresistible compulsion to get into biochemistry. So I literally went back to school and uh, that's Louise's fault. Louise and Donna sort of nagged me to go back to school um, because I was trying to understand the biochemistry and, and they were saying, look, you know, you really, uh, you'd be, you'd be, you'd, you'd be a good PhD. You should, you should um, mm. head towards that, 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 that uh, direction. And, and, um, and, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't initially see that as being uh, something I wanted to spend a lot of time in, but in, in the end it, it happened very quickly that, that, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm progressing, through this academic career very you know really quite satisfyingly quickly so it's it's not um it's not dragging on in the slightest and so i'm learning how the biochemistry uh, intersects between health between our our health and our uh, our diet so that's 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 also very fascinating yeah but and I if think, you take it sorry go, go on Rose. go on but i think that the fact that the in terms of, like you said, the influencer, you didn't choose that, but naturally, you know, you're such a good communicator of the science and, and the way that you were able to influence others in understanding their own health journey by that translatable, translational communication that in your understanding that you've been able then to to deepen your understanding by being able to communicate it to others and in the communicating it in an accessible way and the platform happened to be the podcast with Carl which was part of the right. accountability factor so I think you know there's some synergies now as you move that forward to this next career um, you know the passion for the science never went away the math and science no. the, you know the systems yeah. 
and and complex reasoning and, and understanding. You're just moving it, moving you know a couple of the chess pieces along. So um, yeah, you should be really proud for the commitment that you've you've done. Yeah, thank you. No, I, I for me, um, I to understand something, I need to be able to explain it to somebody else. And and that's good. That's true in, in life in general. If you want to really understand something, teach somebody else it, um, and then you'll learn more about what you know about the subject. Um, but the uh, I I bought so from the software business. I worked for 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 many years in sales and marketing in in um, in uh, for a company called Borland, which um, makes compilers, um, which requires a very technical uh, salesmanship. I also learned the non-technical parts, the soft skills involved with uh, ex- explaining te- highly complex uh, um, concepts using fairly simple terms, and that's necessary in a sales role. You know, if you're going to sell a compiler that 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 is extremely complicated, you need to be able to explain to people using simple terms what why they should care about that particular product so those skills i uh, w- w- became part of my arsenal of, uh, of 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 uh i guess tools that i applied to to keto so in the process of doing uh the two keto dudes podcast i learned um uh i learned myself about some of the biochemistry and then i was able to, i was sort of required to be able to put it into simple terms to be able to explain it to carl and in the process of doing that the uh, you know the the two hundred fifty thousand people um, I- I- lurking in the back of the room, um, or apparently also enjoyed the content. So uh, you know, which I'm grateful. Yeah, but I was able to be obviously privileged to be part of the the keto fests that were running, and you, were? Yep. you know, so many times you know that you had these people coming up to you and just you know really demonstrating that impact. You know, that's the thing that as that even though the the influencer was not a not a label that you want to wear yeah. greatly, but you know the affection and the um, the grace, you know the the gratefulness. But you were so gracious mm-hmm. about it. You know it wasn't that mm-hmm. you were, um, yeah, that, that you were just so gracious that in in receiving you know the acknowledgement of the impact that you've had on the on the many lives that you've had. So uh, yeah, yeah I, di- I didn't go out of my way to. Um, I, I mean, I I. For me, it was just a natural thing to to try and understand it myself for my own needs, try and explain it to Carl for his needs. And then when people would approach me and ask me questions, I would try and formula, formulate a, a, an explanation that would help them understand that for their needs. And so it's it's really, it's, it's a, it's a serv- it's, I guess it's a service mentality, first myself, then to Carl, then to our audience. How that then... That becomes, of its very nature, um, a, a process of, of 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 influence. But I think because it's an organic one, um, it, it's not fake in, in in any way. I mean, there's a lot of social media influencers who, um, uh, you know, will 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 sell you anything that 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 an advertiser will put their dollars on. We were never involved at that end. We, I mean, we had lots of uh, exogenous ketones companies that would. Uh, I mean, it literally, their first called. To it, they they wanted they wanted to advertise, and their first contact with us was, "What flavor would you like?" <laughs> you know, which puts me in mind of a of a Bill Ni- Bill Nye quote from Love Actually. You know, don't don't buy drugs, kids. Become famous, and they'll give them to you for free. <laughs> <laughs> but that yeah. was obviously true to the 
true to the brand. You know, the brand wasn't one, as you said, there to sell. It was there to, yeah. you know, to share and to well, a, partly to educate. It, yeah. yeah, it was yeah. a service mentality, a, as you said. Yeah. It, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a conscious brand development process. It was an organic one that, that grew mm. out of, uh, you know, a desire to, to help people. Um, and, you know, I'm even now as, a, as an academic, um, I find that I'm the most potent when I'm in front of an audience that needs to understand a concept that I can share. It's their need. It's their need to understand it that drives me, rather than my need to be seen to be the one coming up with the explanation. I think that's that probably describes um, why why I do this and how I do it. Yeah. Well, they say to to learn, you have to teach. Yes. So. But they also say if you can't do, then you end up teaching. So those that can't do teach. So um, yeah. maybe that's just for health professionals. I don't know. But um, <laughs> my son got into huge trouble at school for saying something like that loud enough for the teacher to hear. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we won't go there. Yeah, te- teaching is, a... is an important. It's an important um, part of our community. It's it's um, you know being able to explain to somebody something that could change their life. Um, is very rewarding, you know. I mean, Louise, you've been a teacher for for many years. You know, you know this. This is the 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 the, the students that come back to you, and and you may have no, you probably, you, I'm sure you noticed them, but you didn't think that you had a major role in forming them, and they'll come back, you know, years later and say, you know, that, that one lecture that you did changed my life, you know. And it's a a really powerful impact and that's the thing when it comes back to you that you it doesn't resonate and I think that's true a very high high need achieving perfectionistic sort of types that we have Mm. this imposter syndrome that Mm -hmm. um, when I'm standing in front of a classroom as you said you know and I'm trying to explain things and you always are second guessing yourself you know have I got that right am I I'm doing the little fact checking Yep, yep, that mm-hmm. reference there, that goes there. I know that to be true. I'm not, you know, talking talking out of my um whatchamacallit. Um but when I've had students come back to me and and they've said exactly that, and it's just like, I did. Yeah. Well, we're talking about the same Louise, are we? We're talking about the same <laughs> But they're going, No, no, no. You know, they, they almost have it down to the minute, to the day, to the lecture, mm. to that moment, and they said this was a powerful thing that you did and you did that yeah. and this is how, as you said, it changed changed my trajectory. Altered like, the trajectory of my life, yeah. And it's like that little malevolent sort of <laughs> laugh and then I'm going, no, no, inside voice, Louise, inside voice. Yeah. Um, well, it's, actually, it's actually not you that changed their trajectory. They changed their trajectory. Absolutely. What you did was you set up the conditions for them to see what direction to head in. And hmm. so, you know, that, that that's um, – uh, it, it's important to realise the agency of, uh, of the audience, So, in my opinion. But how do we go from that, that we know that the messages that were um, received in, mm-hmm. in our community, you know, we have to go for two and five, we have the eat well plates, we have the dietary mm-hmm. guidelines, that there is this cognitive dissonance between, you know, what we're told – to our own lived experience is completely there's a disconnect and Mm. you know through I suppose the work of Nina Teicholz and there's a 
policy advocacy process going on to reform, particularly the American dietary guidelines. How do we get those messages to connect, given that we've got such a powerful lived experience? Well, that the the personal epiphany is is what differentiates a doctor who's talking about ketogenic diets and a doctor who is talking about you know eating the you know, five and two diet or whatever you know or n- not the five and two diet but like you know the the seventy service of vegetables and you know plant based uh, uh, diets. If you ask any of the doctors or any of the any of the the communicators, the influencers um, who work in the in the low carb realm i think pretty much every single one has a personal epiphany it worked for them and they recognized that what they were doing was contrary to the dietary guidelines and that made them look close more closely at the dietary guidelines and and then they realized that there that there is a large dogma there um and the problem with the problem for dietitians um, or the dietetic um, uh, industry is that um, they're kind of locked into. They can't. They can't. They're not going to be able to admit that any part of it is wrong. They just mm-hmm. have to 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 put to basically lean into it. And so you'll find when 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 a dietitian would would say, you know, you approach a dietitian and say, well, you know, we've been um, following the dietary guidelines since the seventies, and yet diabetes is only getting getting worse. Um, what's wrong with the dietary guidelines? And the answer you will invariably get will be people aren't following them. Yeah. We're right, but the people aren't following them, obviously as evidenced by the fact that they're putting on weight, getting diabetic, getting fatty liver disease, um, and clearly they're not following the guidelines. Um, so so that, that, is a, that is an obvious disconnect. And so um, it would be nice, um, I suspect when... Um, there are there are good dietitians. There, you know, there there are good and bad uh, people in every field. But there are a lot of dietitians that I know who had that personal epiphany, and and it stuck. And they have become very very powerful advocates for uh, low carbohydrate diets. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Jess Turto, for example, um, who had her own epiphany with um, with uh, eating disorders. Um, uh, her life was made a tragedy by, by you know by 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 eating disorders and essentially a, a, a high fat uh, low carb diet uh, rescued her out of that and you know and she 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 was gone on to become a very powerful advocate for um, for change in the in the dietary guidelines yeah yeah and you've also interviewed the other the name escapes me the other Melbourne based the rogue dietitian lady mm-hmm. Feng Yuan um, yes. And uh, and um, uh, Karen Zinn as well in in New Zealand, and there's there's a lot of really good dietitians out there. I, look at this. I, I believe that the only way that we're going to get out of a, of a, of the the tsunami of metabolic disease that's ahead of us is the dietitians have to lead us out of the, uh, out of it. They have to lead us out because they are the they are the subject matter experts. Problem is that they need to get their heads out of their own fundamental orifices to basically look at the look at the evidence. And all it takes is a few. Um, you know, Gary Fecky says this. You know, you only need three percent of uh, of fish in a in a school to to decide to s- swim in a different direction, and all of a sudden the entire school's doing it. Well, so we only need three percent of dietitians to have that personal epiphany. 
Um, and that's a, just a matter of time because, um, you know, we, we're, we're all eventually becoming more and more metabolically um, uh, deranged over time, even if diet was not a factor, that would happen anyway. As you, The older you get, the more likely it is that you become more diabetic. Um, and that's always been the case. That's, that's the, the human condition. But then in the context of our, of our diet, um, we can certainly make that worse. We can increase the gradient of that. And as more and more, that, uh, it's just a function of time for enough diet, diet, dietitians to, uh, to try a ketogenic diet. All of a sudden, there will be like a super, a super saturated solution coming out of it into crystallization that all of a sudden the, the, the entire um, edifice will crumble and, and the dietitians will have to leave us out, lead us out of this, uh, out of this disaster. Mm. Um, I, I honestly believe that they're the only ones who can, but they first of all have to, they first of all have to, to buy yeah. into it. Yeah, they have to learn. Yeah, yeah. But the, guide, we, we but the guidelines if, have changed. So some of the guidelines have changed, or some of the recommendations, or there's latitude now in terms of their prescribing of different approaches. So there seems to be more permissible interpretation of the guidelines, which gives them flexibility. That is true. So, for example, cholesterol as a as a nutrient of concern is uh, as of twenty fifteen is no longer a nutrient in concern, but we've known since nineteen thirty six that it's not a nutrient of concern. But because we were locked into um, uh, into a dogma where um, eating cholesterol made it suddenly appear in your in your arteries and cause cardiovascular disease. Um, it, it it became you know it it took us what seventy five eighty five years to get that out of out of the the dietary guidelines um, you know um, uh, imagine how many people didn't eat eggs for you know forty five fifty years because they were worried about the cholesterol and and it you know it's not a factor we cholesterol is a homeostatically regulated um, absolutely essential molecule that's used in every cell in our body forty percent of our of the membranes of our of our of our brains are uh, are made up of cholesterol, um, you know that it's it's a fancy to think that uh, that just by eating uh, eating some extra eggs that um, <laughs> that you would uh, derange and get a heart disease. Yeah, I remember I was I used to teach hypnobirthing, and one of the suggestions was if a woman had preeclampsia, was to eat lots and lots of eggs and lots of meat um, and just focus on that and we were all horrified because it was like why would you do that but it works because we know it works now because mm. it brings down uh, the inflammation it um, brings down your blood sugar and everything starts to work properly again but we just couldn't get our heads around it it was like really weird it's it, that's it's hard to get out of your lane if you're a train. It's hard to change tracks to a different in a different direction. You, yeah. you like you're committed to your journey, um, and and it's the same with academic careers. And I'm talking about ap- academics who 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 are dietetic experts. Um, it's hard for it's hard for them to um, to make a radical change. And so what you end up with is this like filigree, the the gild- the sort of like the. Um, changing the decks on the Titanic, um, really, uh, you know, making minor changes around the around the edges to to avoid admitting that there was a fundamental flaw in the in the in the logic. Um, I, I I suspect that we're going to. I think while I, I think that dietitians will 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 lead us out of this disaster, I think the biochemists have to lead the dietitians, and that's why I've gone back to school to study biochemistry. So, what do you see yourself doing once you've Finished all your studies. 
So I I did I did my undergraduate. I did a, a four year degree in two and a half years, um, which is a pretty rapid clip. I was able to do a lot of summer school to get that done quickly, um, and then I graduated right in the middle of twenty twenty, which is uh, so my last semester was unusual to say the least. I did like uh, five subjects. Had I not done five, it, normally you do four subjects a, year, a semester. Had I had I done four subjects, I would have had to have waited another six months and be doing only one subject, which didn't seem uh, right. So I so I ended up cramming that last semester, and because it was all virtual, because as of from March onwards, um, there was no there was no lab, I couldn't do any labs, and I'd chosen subjects like immunology and infection, which was kind of appropriate for this particular <laughs> uh, this year of our plague twenty twenty. Um, so, uh, so, uh, so, I, so I essentially graduated, and then I, um, uh, uh, in Australia, you can you can do an extra year. Uh, you can uh, do it, uh, uh, add an extra year to your to your undergraduate. It's called an honours year. You're essentially doing a, you be it's a mini science, it's a mini project, it's a mini research project. Uh, from it, I will uh, produce um, uh, publishable. Um, studies so um you know it's it's kind of like an apprenticeship it's a science apprenticeship it's an apprenticeship with uh, research scientists who are fine honing me and um and building on my instincts so that i can become a good instinctive scientist um so it's a very useful um apprenticeship i'm 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 enjoying it it's a shame it's only going to last for a year so i'm doing that right now um I did. Oh, by the way, when I the extra subject that I did uh, for my final semester was um, was a research project with the team that I'm currently doing um, my honours research with, and the uh, paper for that we submitted today. So I will be a published scientist um, as soon as that journal is published. So that's mm-hmm. in, the jour- in the journal of uh, of chemical physics. So. Uh, 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 so that's um, that's a that's that that particular paper is on um, the uh, the nature of the epithelial um, uh, um, uh, cell membrane plasma membrane. Uh, but I'm doing my research project for my honours year is looking into the inner mitochondrial membrane, which is where we make all of our energy. And I've got um, I, I'm, I I I have successfully simulated a complex membrane. Uh, on one of the world's uh, largest supercomputers, I've used the <laughs> the computational resources of a small country in order to do that. Uh, so if uh, so, if ever anyone asks you who the first person in the world uh, who in history who 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 the first person to have seen an inner mitochondrial membrane at an atomic level, that's this guy. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, so that and and that that was. Uh, uh, that's that's essentially my my honest project is is looking at that membrane and then treating it with diet and with four different diets and looking to see how those diets modify the membrane modify its oh. biophysical properties so um uh so I should be finished that in six months' time uh, in june and then uh if i if I can get first class honors um i'm 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 on track to um, so uh, if I can get uh, summa cum laude, then then um, I I will be guaranteed a, a place a PhD scholarship, and so I can it's it means I don't have to go through two years of masters. I can just go straight to doing a PhD, probably with the same lab, and uh, then uh, PhD takes about three and a half years in Australia. It takes about seven years in 
in in the US and Canada, but um, it's an entirely different uh, a different um, trajectory there. But uh, so in about uh, four years' time, um, I should be a postdoc ready for working in somebody's lab, and then I go. To, I have to go look for a lab that specialises in mitochondria and, uh, and metabolic disease and diet and all the things I'm interested in. And then uh, um, after working in somebody's lab for a couple of years, I can then start my own lab. So that's my my goal is to is to become a research um, scientist and could contribute to the sum of human knowledge in the area of mitochondrial disease Mm. wow that's a really lofty vision isn't it well uh, you know you you got to have you got to have goals you got to set goals that are out of that out of your reach so that it forces you to reach for them um, you know, when Carl and I decided to, to have a conference, uh, people told us that was silly. We're just podcasters. Why would you have a conference? And yet, you know, Keto Fest, we've had four Keto Fests now. It's an international conference. Um, and, uh, you know, we had one in Canberra, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's become something that, um, that's that been um, – people didn't th- didn't expect out of a couple of podcasters. So, yeah. You've got to have goals. Set, set your goals high. Set definitely. your goals out of your reach. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's good, it's good for you. Gives you something to work for. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think it's not unachievable. But look, you know, the trajectory that you, you've come so far already, you know, you've mm. taken those classes, you've, you're you mm-hmm. in the middle of your, your honours year, you know, you're going to be writing, mm-hmm. your, writing your thesis in the second half. I've of, already started um, it. <laughs> yeah, well, of course you have. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't yes. expect anything less from, from you, Mr. Morris. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it's all it's all a pathway, and I think you know the fact that the aim is to still contribute and influence in in a different a different you know same same but different as we say here in Southeast Asia. So <laughs> same same but different yeah, but different. <laughs> so so the good thing is that when I get a when I when I get a a, a, a PhD in four years time, finally I can get to be called kiddo. <laughs> Yes. Oh my lord, I was absolutely appalled. And I tell you what, the the Twitter sphere just went off that day, and right. it was it was so interesting because um, it's there. Were, I contributed to a thread where these women were, you know, saying I've got a PhD in astrophysics, and you know, my mm-hmm. PhD was in you know this this that and the other. And mm-hmm. it was just this sum, this thread of all these women who had contributed, you know, to, as you said, about the, the, the sum knowledge. Sum of human knowledge, yep. But the funniest thing I read was this satire of thread where mm-hmm. um, it, they did the gender flip sort of thing. So yes. they said, how dare men leave the kitchen? Who thinks that they're going to go to university? They need to go back to the kitchen. So everything that women have been told in history, they put, Mm -hmm. you know, they they did the switch. And it was funny. That's a rare rare seam of funny, a rare seam of humour. And it was sophisticated because these women were saying, you know, were were writing in this satirical manner Mm -hmm. about, you know, well, where else are they going to meet, you know, women? You know, they're going to meet women at church. They don't need to go to university to meet women. They can just, you know, <laughs> just go to church to meet women. And, um, yeah, the, the, the satire was, 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 
was top notch. So we're but talking, is, of course, about the Wall Street Journal uh, opinion article that uh, referred to Dr. Jill Biden as kiddo. Um, yes. And, and told her essentially what appellation she could use or not. Um, and uh, that guy can get stuffed <laughs> because but, but she not forgetting, earned her the right to. But, but, that, but he was saying that she hadn't because she mm-hmm. didn't have – she wasn't a real doctor. And a real doctor is someone that obviously is a medical doctor and a medical doctor by virtue of, you know, you know birthing and – Treating yeah, patients yeah. and this sort of stuff. He said, "If you haven't, if like, you haven't given, if you haven't, if you haven't uh, assisted in a birth, then you're not a real doctor." Those she's guys a are honorary. But yeah, she's she, a, she, she she's has, a she has persisted. She has. So yeah, let me assist She did facilitate a birth. I I've assisted two births. So am I a doctor? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Doc, doctor. It's, it's, the word doctor means teacher. So um, you know the 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 thing is that a that a a, a PhD. I mean, an MBBS, which is a, a medical doctor, is an honorary doctor. The Appalachian doctor is honorary. You know, the the it, it's it's not been earned by um by by contributing to the sum of human knowledge, which is how you get uh, how you actually earn a doctorate. So you know, the the people he's referring to, your medical doctors, um, we call them doctors out of respect for the fact that they've spent, you know. 21 years or whatever it is um, in education to be able to help people. But, um, you know, the, the the actual PhDs, the actual doctors, as Louise, Dr. Reynolds will tell you, contribute to the sum of human knowledge and by doing so earn their right to be called teacher or doctor. Yeah. And this is the thing which I understand because medical professionals, you know, you're saying about, you know, MBBS, you know, mm-hmm. by virtue of the fact that they have two degrees and, you know, that mm-hmm. we do positionally, you know, as as people that in our society that we value and trust. And that's that's obviously we've we've done that, as you said, we afford them the, the title that some mm-hmm. of those medical degrees now do actually contain a research component. So they have a um, the MD component MD, now PhD. in Australia. Well, the, yeah, yeah, that's right. So in Australia yeah. they do con- – they mm-hmm. do actually do a research component now, so that makes mm-hmm. sense that it's um, they do have that conferment of the title. But you're saying about my contribution to the summer knowledge. I just want the business class upgrade. You know, that's when I roll it out. <laughs> like I just make a point. Like they yeah. say, you know, and title doctor. So, and but what I'm worried about is obviously mid flight. You know, thirty thousand yeah. feet. Yeah. And the, is, there is there a doctor on board? On the plane? <laughs> that's that's you know but i i know a little thing or two about you know saving lives mm-hmm. but um yeah well, it is yeah i mean that that was your career so you know <laughs> yes, yeah. i'm glad you said that yeah. <laughs> so yeah and, and that's 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 the thing that it, um it does have i got an upgrade on that i've tried a couple of times but uh, i I'm very good at getting business class upgrades. I've, yes, I've you got are. Upgrades to, I've gotten upgrades to first class before on the on the Trans Pacific leg. I mean, the uh, I had the black pajamas to prove it too. The black pajamas. <laughs> wow, that's so next level. Tell us, tell us a little bit about what your daily food is nowadays. So, um, I I I generally don't eat until I'm hungry, and uh, that normally happens around about. Uh, 2 p.m. Uh, and you can pretty much set your clock up, clock by it. You know, the uh, I wake up. Um, I probably have an espresso. You know, I, I I do like my coffee. I have 
very expensive taste in espresso and whiskey and so i have a fancy coffee maker and so um so i'll have a i'll have a, a, a an espresso with uh with a splendor tab sucralose uh sweetener so it's non-nutritive and um and I'll run for – I might have another espresso sort of like at 11, 11 a.m. and then uh, it's not until about 2 p.m. that I start to get hungry. Um, and then what I'll do is um, – so I I, uh, I sometimes have I, – I, sometimes I take a, 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 a pre-made shake to, to school um, to have at 2 o'clock. Um, so I use Keto, keto Chow, which is a, which is a, a product that um, they don't pay me to endorse but – Every single every single exam I've ever I've ever done in my uh, academic career, I've had keto chow with MCT oil beforehand to increase my ketones. Um, but for the most part, um, I would have. I, I, so I, I I go to a kebab store and I just get a small snack pack, uh, like a small box of uh, of lamb, and they just shave the lamb off the the, the kebab thing and uh, and give it to me straight as is, you know, and. Um, uh, no bread, no no chips, no no. Obviously, <laughs> um, uh, I don't really eat a lot. I don't eat a, 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 for lunch. I don't have a lot of salad necessarily. Um, uh, and then for dinner, what I'll I'll generally do is um, I'll have uh, I'll have uh, either something like I might cook up some pork belly, and so I'll have pork, uh, a serving of pork belly. Um, with uh, some coleslaw, I make coleslaw with uh, homemade mayonnaise, uh, cabbage, and instead of using carrots, I use bell peppers or capsicums. Um, so uh, and a little bit of green onion. So um, so uh, pork belly with with uh, with coleslaw, or I might um, cook up some say chorizo sausages with uh, some uh, uh, cabbage in a in a nice porky stock, um, or I could do shirataki. Um, noodles with a uh, a, a green um, uh, green curry uh, sauce that made from um, or green green um, I, I use a, a pre-made uh, curry a pre-made made spice blend but um, I'll add it to coconut cream to make a sauce um, and then uh, for sometimes I won't, normally I won't have dessert but sometimes I might have like a creamy coffee for dessert uh, so I'll I'll I'll, I'll put cr- uh, pure cream in the milk frother and froth that um, and uh, I, I generally don't use milk uh, uh, except as uh, in as much as I have cream um, and uh, sometimes I might have some berries for dessert and then uh, that's pretty, so that's pretty much my day uh, it's not actually a lot of food but it it's it's uh, I, my weight doesn't seem to be changing too much, which is good. Um, except in you know in the, in the COVID time, I was unable to get hold of metformin, and I put on about seven kilograms. And as soon as I started taking metformin again, uh, I lost two kilograms in the first week. So, um, so that that you know my weight does change if I if I change the the um, the uh, amount of insulin that, that 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 I have. But other than that, um, you know, it's a fairly good stable. Um, a dietary regime doesn't take a lot uh, uh, to think about. Mm. And are you still fasting three days a week, uh, three uh, days a month? So I I used to do that. Um, I haven't for a while. Uh, it's been hard. Well, you know, when you're at home, and uh, it's easier to fast when you when you, you you're at work and you you, you focus on other things. And by the time you get past the hunger points, that um, you know you, you sort of you've, you're you're adequately getting energy from body fat, and you're no longer feeling hungry. So um, by the end of the the workday, but um, uh, 
so no, I have I haven't. I I did for a while have uh, fast every Monday, so I just didn't eat. I I just uh, wake up Monday morning, not eat, and have my first meal sort of Tuesday for for dinner sort of thing, so, mm. or maybe Tuesday lunch. So I was doing that every week for for a while, but I find that. Um, I mean, there are a lot of benefits to fasting, but I think one of the best benefits is between the ears. I mean, the the in your brain, when you, before you've started your first fast, you think, "Oh, I have to eat every three or four hours for the rest of my life." Um, when you fast, you learn that that ain't so, and in mm. fact, you can go for days. I went for ten days without eating, and that was that was a shock. Um, wow, I can actually do, I can actually run on body fat. And I don't ever need to try and beat my record, but you know, um, I, I I know it wasn't difficult in any in any way. I, the only reason I stopped was because I was getting bored of it. So uh, I was feeling a little bit sort of a little bit um, um, anxious, and so I I, uh, I didn't want to push it too far. But um, yeah, so if, so um, generally fasting for me. Um, uh, I I can easily do it because I have a lot of body fat, um, so I'm roughly twenty five percent body fat. So um, that gives me plenty of uh, of uh, of available energy if I do want to fast. I quite like the fact that um, that um, my body has become. I'm, I'm fifty five, and my body's become functional uh, to the degree where I can. I, I ride to school and back. That's fourteen k a day, um, and uh, I know that if I had to. If I had to fast for three days and then ride for a hundred kilometers, that's the kind of thing that I could see. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, that, that, that that's not going to break me to do that. Um, so it's a it's a very um, uh, it's a very functional um, I, and I believe an appropriate uh, way to run your body. So um, uh, I quite yeah. like it. And when Richard, for our listeners, when Richard says ride, he means cycle. So I do, I do. Cycling. Yeah, I mean, it's not on a horse. No, no, <laughs> not it's, on a motorbike. It's actually, it's actually my muscles, uh, you know. I, I, one reason to ride for as a cyclist is uh, to uh, poke a hole in your glycogen, um, poke a hole in the glucose storage in all of your muscles, and all, especially the large muscles, around quadriceps and, um, and the large uh, muscles in the lower part of the body. Um deplete the 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 sugar in there and then you know if 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 you let's say you're keto and you accidentally eat some carbohydrates um you know you accidentally eat a sweet or or or, or, you know you you, there was a potato chip at the bottom of the of the the, of the food that you didn't notice and you accidentally ate it it's not a big deal (laughs) just get on a bike half an hour on a bike or go for a walk after a meal or whatever it is poke a hole in the glycogen and that basically gives you extra buffering capacity to be able to 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 eat slightly more uh, glucose by accident one day i i have a science question mm-hmm. I, I have a science question i've been doing this um bit of a protein lowering my fat and upping my protein mm-hmm. and um i was thinking you know just to sort of lean out a little bit more the impact of that was that I had a higher blood sugars. My fasting blood sugars in the morning mm-hmm. went up by considerable yep. amount, like for me, mm-hmm. like, you know, I know that I'm insulin sensitive, mm-hmm. but it trended from what used to be sitting at the low th- low fours right mm-hmm. up to above five. Can you mm-hmm. explain that in simple terms why I – and I was eating hundred about 130 grams of protein a day. And that was a lot of chicken breasts. 
Mm-hmm. And my life was very boring and mm. sad. So, so um, uh, one of the one of the things is that when we make glucose, so if you don't eat glucose, you're not eating carbohydrates. You must have you must have glucose for many cells in your body require it. All of your red blood cells, for example, they don't have mitochondria because their their job is to carry oxygen, not to burn it. So they they uh, so essentially for all of your red blood cells, they can only run in glucose. You must have glucose in your bloodstream to be able to keep your red blood cells alive and able to carry oxygen. It's kind of essential for life. Your brain, for example, has a requirement for glucose. So you're going to make it all of the time. There's two ways that you make it. You're going to make glucose when you have um, uh, when glucose goes low. So uh, when your serum glucose goes low, this is one of this is the reason why a ketogenic diet works for diabetics because we have these two homeostatic regulators. We want to keep glucose in an ideal range. We don't want too little, so we want enough glucose to be able to keep our red blood cells alive. But we don't want too much glucose because of all of the bad effects of that does on vascular disseminated vascular disease. So we try and keep glucose in that tight range between five and six, ideally, and briefly goes up when you have a meal and it'll come back down again. So there's two ways to do that. We have insulin that, that remove, takes glucose out of the bloodstream and puts it into your cells and then we have uh, glucagon which which um, essentially drives the process of responding to low glucose events to cause your liver to make more glucose so we, we either get rid of the stuff that we have or we we make more of it to keep this thing regulated so diabetics generally have lost that top end ability to be able to regulate the amount of uh, glucose in circulation through insulin, either a type 1 diabetics has had an autoimmune um, uh, disease take out their capacity to make insulin, or a type 2 diabetic has become um, insulin resistant uh, through you know because of a, because of high insulin. Uh, so so what you what you have left is that you've got your backup mechanism of for if you don't eat any glucose, what will happen is your liver will make all of the glucose that you need on demand and it'll basically keep you in that tight zone. Right. So there's two ways that the liver makes that makes glucose. It can do it on demand as part of that homeostatic regulation, but it also does it, um, it's also substrate driven. So the more lactate that you have running in your body, the more glucose you make. The more uh, and, and uh, the more glycerol, for example, you have from, uh, from burning fatty acids, that your liver makes more more there and the liver will make um and part of that substrate is also the 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 breakdown of proteins into amino acids and so the so what you're doing is you're 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 doing two things so the first thing is that you're increasing the amount of fuel necessary for the liver to make new glucose and the second thing that happens is that uh, protein has an effect on uh on uh, pancreatic secretion of, of insulin. It's roughly 50% of the effect that carbohydrates have. So um, it's specific, uh, specific protein, uh, specific amino acids do this when, they, when they're available in circulation. Um, so what, what, what's, what and, and, and a type 2 diabetic, someone who has been type 2 diabetic, has a stronger reaction to that. So uh, type 2 diabetics, for example, um, uh they uh if their if their production of insulin for a particular amount of of carbohydrate is 100 uh then their production of of uh insulin for the same amount of protein is also 100 and if they have both both carbohydrate and protein it's 250 so it's more than more than double so so um 
anyway, long story short is that uh, you may be particularly susceptible, particularly susceptible to that uh, that insulin secretion, um, right. additional insulin in, insulin secretion. And I know it's counterintuitive to say, well, why when I secrete more insulin would my blood glucose go up? Um, and part of that has to do with the, with the response to to uh, to to greater insulin, um, your, your, uh, drops the blood glucose low, and so you, your kidney, your liver kicks in at that point to to, to support to it with it uh, yeah. um, new glucose. So, so, and it, it's just a timing issue. You're you're actually noticing it several hours after your your liver's kicked into action. So, well, you notice it when you wake up, but it's probably happened at three a.m. It it was really interesting because obviously um, in this whole experiment, so increasing mm-hmm. my protein. Reducing my fat, my net calorie, like my net intake went down, obviously because this is tidy, kicked in. Mm-hmm. And I was in this really quite extreme sort of deficit. So, and by deficit, I mean, you know, the margin was from 1,800 calories, kilocalories a day, and I was probably got down to maybe to 900, you know, because mm. that's just a whole bunch of chicken breast that I was eating. Yeah. How'd you feel? Um, okay, like I wasn't bounding out of energy, you know, I'm not shredded, like I'm not shredded by mm-hmm. any means, like I haven't shredded, um, my waist size went up four centimetres, mm-hmm. um, so it didn't have the effect that I thought I was. Interestingly, I think the thermogenic effect of the food that I was eating, oh, I'm so hot. Like, I know that I'm hot, baby. Like, I'm hot, baby, you know. <laughs> but at night, maybe it's the 3 o'clock when I'm pumping out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, you know, my body temperature, I think, went went hot as well. So the thermogenic sort of effect of food. But it's, it's really when you're sort of tweaking, you know, in this time of tweaking and busting stalls and expat life here is um, very social and um, the food choices here, I mean, there's loads of chicken and pork, you know, but there's only so much chicken and pork, you, you know, you can do day in and day loads out. Loads of rice and noodles as well. I'm in the land of rice and noodles, That's that is true. Mm-hmm. Um Beef is expensive, lamb's expensive, and frozen mm-hmm. and imported mostly. But anyway, so it's been been an interesting adjustment to, to keto here in Asia, which mm. makes me so grateful for, you know, the food availability, the food quality that we had in Australia as well. So, yeah, um, yeah you're very lucky to, to have, you know, good quality, fresh, seasonal produce. Um mm. To, to do your recipes, recipes. I can't recipes. Yeah, I, I think we, uh, I think we, uh, we tend to 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 at, at our peril disrespect the value of good quality um, uh, ingredients in food in Australia. We, we I mean, it, we are lucky, and it's only when you leave Australia that you realise how how really lucky this country is. But you know, I I don't know about you, I. I mean, you say that you felt more satiety. I actually feel less satiated when I go uh, high protein. And I've done the, the, the skinless chicken as well. And there is nothing that makes me more satiated uh, than having a big fat pork belly. And it's not the protein in that. It's energy availability for me. That's what's satiating. It was interesting because last year when I was in the UK, and again, I changed changed my eating only because I was still in that mm-hmm. price price shock sort of thing. And mm-hmm. um, I know 
having been, you know, when I went back home, that beef and lamb, I felt a lot more satiated than I do on chicken and pork. But now I've been here a year and chicken and pork is obviously, it's cheap and it's readily available. Mm. And yes, pork belly um, had became a staple. So, um, CB pork belly. Mm. And um, yeah, so... I do know that that it may well be down to the the types of um, the types of proteins that's in the meat. You know the, the mm. omega three to yep. omega six ratios. Some mm. of the meat I know if it's um, I, I try not to eat out on the street because they cook in crappy seed oils. So sure. and I, it's cheap. I generally have that aches and pains that comes from mm-hmm. oh that's I shouldn't have eaten that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, but you're right. It, it is about the the meat profile gives me greater satiety. But the food availability and making choices that I need to make is obviously on a daily basis is is where I'm. It's a trade off right for me right now. Yeah, I just find fatty foods are more satiating. You know, I I uh, I don't have. To, I, it's been a long time since I filled my stomach. Um, and you know, there was a time when I was a type two diabetic where I would eat two large pizzas by myself and still be looking for garlic bread. My stomach had f- passed the level of, of past its capacity and I was still looking for more things to put into it and had it, it you know, I mean for sure when the stomach distends when there's a stretching mechanism that does affect um, the production of ghrelin so there is the, you know there is the it is true that 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 filling your stomach will be one of the factors involved um, but for me um, I'm it's been a long time since I've actually really filled my belly to the point where I'm like oh I can't eat anymore and um, and I, I attribute that to um, to becoming more uh, more nuanced, or at least my 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 ability to respond to to the signal cues has become more nuanced. Where I don't really see a full belly as being as important as hey, I'm getting energy from this, and I'm feeling you know like my 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 body temp regulates as well um, when I have more energy available. Um, you know, I, I don't have cold fingertips when I'm riding, when I'm cycling, um, if I've got, uh, if I've got a little bit of fat, fat on board. So, um, you know, in, in my gut sort of thing, uh, digesting. So, so I personally, I find that, um, a lean, a lean diet, I, I, I find myself more hungry counterintuitively on a lean mm. diet than I do on a, on a, on a diet with plenty of energy from fat. But the only problem was, obviously, I was looking at nutrient density. So that was where mm. that was that was the thing as well. So, and um, I have Jackie's voice in my head saying, "Louise, <laughs> you're drinking your calories." So yes, <laughs> but it's like, but I love my creamy coffee in the morning, Jackie. You know, but it was a trade-off. So I did then drink black coffee. So um, mm-hmm. I was still able to have one creamy coffee, but um, yeah, I went back to back to black coffee. Yeah. But it was interesting to sort of to track, you know, track for those couple of weeks to sort of go, where are my calories coming from? What's the, the ratio, the, the macro sort of mm-hmm. things, which I haven't mm-hmm. done for years. And I yeah. now know that why I don't like tracking. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's just, you know, um, but anyway, it's not my form of accountability. I but, did it for um, the first yeah. 18 months I went keto. Yeah. So I have really good graphs of, of the mm-hmm. progress of a ketogenic weight. Um, um, weight loss, which is 
that's uh, I'm glad I did that. But for some reason, I can't seem to get into more than about two weeks of doing my fitness pal, and I'm like, nah, stuff it. I can't be yeah. doing this anymore. Yeah, I I'm lucky if I can do two days. <laughs> I just check every so often, but I can't keep it up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how I did it for eighteen months. I think I was just, I was just terrified of losing my toe. So you know, and I, and also at the time, I wanted to be able to have a permanent record so that I could go back to look at it and see, okay, what 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 worked, what didn't, and also to be able to go back to my doctor, who at the time was saying, look, I'm not sure that this diet is right for you. I want to keep you on the statin and a lot of other things that 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 doctors say. Um, I think that uh, that's one of the reasons why I was like obsessed. I think I got a little bit obsessive about (laughs) tracking everything. Mm -hmm. I I liked it because it actually educated me. I think there was that sort of, you know, the feedback loop, so the the double loop learning. So if Mm -hmm. I was able to feed forward to, to know what I was doing and that sort of thing. So the period, the initial period of tracking was, was good in an educative way to, to know what I was doing and how much things were and, you know, measuring mm-hmm. and weighing, that sort of stuff. It was Definitely. actually it was quite informative. So, mm. um, But for ongoing behaviour modification, you know, you've done a number of experiments. You've, you went vegetarian, you've been carnivore, you've, you've done those sorts of things. Are you still I've tweaking? Long, long diets? Not really. No, no, I... I uh, uh, I know what works for me, what doesn't work, so, um, and I pretty much uh, uh, stay in those zones. I think it's been a while since I've done any tweaking. I think last last November was the last time I did. I went over-lacto uh, a vegetarian for the month of uh, over-October, <laughs> and uh, and then I went carnivore for the month of uh, carnivember. Um, and I did it in that in that way because I I I was think I was I was I believed that. Uh, over lacto vegetarian would be horrible, and that I, the only way I could do that is if I knew I had a, a month of eating meat coming up afterwards. But now I reflect back, um, and that was a year ago. So that, no. you know, that, that was it was, a year uh, ago or two yeah. years ago? Uh, it might have been. Uh, I think it was a year ago. I I don't know. <laughs> In these times of our plague, twenty twenty, yeah. time seems to. Tra- as time seems still. to move in non-linear directions, but um, so anyway, the the um, but but I I I actually enjoyed um, uh, over lacto vegetarian more than uh, than just meat. Uh, I I I I enjoyed the challenge of learning to cook vegetarian, which I hadn't learned before. I enjoyed the challenge of finding new foods. Um, like I had to have a lot of tofu. Had to had to find other fats, fatty uh, options on the vegetarian area, which was uh, which was a challenge, but it was an enjoyable one. Uh, whereas you know, carni- car- yeah, carnivore is just you know, see meat, cook meat, eat meat. <laughs> <laughs> Not difficult. <laughs> so yeah, I just had a few weeks of that, and I was really unhappy. Yeah. I've stopped. Yes, it's <laughs> the third time I've done carnivore, but <laughs> no. It's not for me. Yeah. So I can I can do that. I can do carnival. Um, mm-hmm. I actually I I don't actually have a problem with with you know seeing meat and eating meat and um, yeah rinse and repeat. I, yeah. In the UK, I was actually really really enjoyed it. I kept it super simple, and I think you know for the time, um, it, the cost a little bit of the cost. It was a cost factor mm. in the UK with meat. But certainly the convenience factor I really, really enjoyed. I don't know if it 
Mm, yeah, except for the initial, the initial burst of energy I got when I went mm-hmm. first went carnivore, I think I really, I really enjoyed. I think there was a noticeable effect, and um, yeah, but there's just so many it's vegetables like going hard, here. It's yeah, like hardcore. going hardcore keto. You know, it's like mm. going hardcore. It's like keto plus a little bit extra. But, but I'm not. I'm not absolutely convinced that um, that the, that there wouldn't be nutrient deficiencies for for most people going carnivore. But it, I I suspect it happens in a lot longer time frame than than the nutrient deficiencies that show show up for vegans. Um, and I think that you know it's part, certainly possible to be vegan um, and nutrient sufficient. Um, uh, but it takes a lot of work, and I think it takes less work to to be nutrient sufficient and carnivore. But I certainly think that there are people who are carnivore sure. who um, who look like they're deficient in something, get a mm-hmm. very grey pallor to their to to their skin. Uh, for some people, not not everyone. I mean, there's some some who who do carnivore, br- right. you know, very well. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just on the the issue of cooking. So I think you're mm-hmm. very passionate about particularly young men cooking, learning how to cook. Mm-hmm. That's yes, a, as a life absolutely. skill. Absolutely, because I wasn't taught. Um, I wasn't taught by my my father or my mother um, how to cook. Um, that was something that um, uh, I picked up sort of in my late forties. You know, so I, I think cooking really is the secret weapon. It's the it's 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 um, it's the one thing that seems to make a big difference in people's ability to control what they eat is learning how food works uh, in cooking and then finding what works for them and building a set of recipes that they use on a regular sure. basis um you know if you don't cook your own food you are ceding control of the nutrients that you eat to the person who is which mm-hmm. is interesting i pulled out the um richard's stick blender hollandaise recipe which i actually you've made it to honorary status with that particular recipe because it's <laughs> laminated so yes, it's, it a, is. it's reached the laminated folder section so it's the, nice. the go-to excellent go-tos. so um yeah uh lots of salmon here so i've been having lots of mm-hmm. salmon so um nice yeah we had, yeah, fatty we had fish. Um, yeah. nice fatty fish with some even fattier sauce so um yeah mm-hmm. so I, I think fatty fish if you're if you're vegan but you're willing to consider pescatarian vegan. I think fatty fish is 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 if if a vegan keto, I think yeah, fatty fish has got to become part of your part of your diet. Um, but you know that's it's. Uh, uh, who, what's not not to love about salmon? It's delicious. Delicious. That's good. Delicious. Jackie, you were going to okay. say something. Uh, I wasn't going to say anything about salmon. That's <laughs> she she loves not salmon. Mm-hmm. Not seven for me. So, Richard, do you have any, well, top tips? Um, a top tip? T- a top tip, maybe three top tips. So Th- we'll stretch the friendship tips. to three top, three top tips. So um, the first is you can keto anywhere. And um, if you haven't prepared food and you need and you, you are hungry and you feel like you need some need to uh uh, get some put get some energy on board. Um, you go to McDonald's and ask for the burger without the bun. If they won't give it to you without the bun, just take the bun off and then eat it, eat it with knife and fork. Get a plastic knife and fork. Um, uh, you know the the uh, there's nothing wrong with the, the the meat in a McDonald's burger. You can ask for it without special sauce because the special sauce has got a bit of sugar in it. Don't get fries. Obviously, have a 
Diet Coke. So it's not difficult. You can keto at the some of the the, the worst uh, fast food joints of the world and reverse your diabetes while you're doing it. So that's the first tip. Um, the second tip is uh, teach your teach your boys how to cook. You know, te- you know, the cooking is not a, a it's not a a a, a um, a sex delineated role. It you know you you your boys need to cook because if they don't, they'll become diabetics. So, um, and they need to t- teach the, your grandchildren how to cook. So make sure your boys know how to cook, um, and make sure your girls do too. I mean, it's 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 a it's a necessary uh, um, part of becoming a, a a fully functioning human adult to be able to uh, take control of your own nutrition by being able to cook your own food. So. Um, that's my second my second tip. I'm getting a bit aggressive. <laughs> it must be the lug of villain talking. Yeah, my third tip is uh, enjoy sixteen year old lug of villain um, in uh, in moderation. So there you go. <laughs> and oh, Louise Richard, is taking wonderful. notes because there will be yes, I am. Afterwards. I am because um, <laughs> Louise is taking notes because she does the show notes. So um, yeah, so enjoy sixteen year old <laughs> scotch in moderation. You know. Andrew will mm-hmm. enjoy that as well, so don't you worry about that. He doesn't need an invitation. <laughs> I was just thinking about your little. I was just thinking about your little story about your, you know, how how fat on your body actually helps you. I'm just remembering those mm. pictures from when you went skiing with Andrew, and there you are in a t-shirt. So um, yes, it's just like, yes, I'm, I'm, and Andrew was rubbed up. Oh, no, Andrew had multiple worry. layers, and I was yes. just I was just burning so much energy I could waste some of the heat. <laughs> So um, yes, so he's certainly there's there's the thin man who needs to be um, needs to be fattened up, whereas the um, the other man is quite fine with mm-hmm. with his extra padding. So um, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's been an absolute pleasure, Richard, having you on the show today, and um, we're very grateful for you staying up late, well past a reasonable bedtime. We do hope that you will go and get some sleep now. And uh, we'll look forward to inviting you back at the end of another semester break um, once the research project is done to maybe talk about some science and have a focused science um, where you can show off your your science communication skills with with the listeners. I'm sure that they'll appreciate that. Yeah, maybe share some of those results. Yes, Yes, absolutely. The pleasure has been all mine. Thank you very much for inviting me. We'll give you a viva voce. Thank you. For- <laughs> Game on. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Hi there, Jackie here. I just wanted to add that we had a little off, I was going to say off camera, but it's not really off camera, is it? Off podcast chat. And Richard was mentioning that he was writing a book. So I thought I'd include this little bit snippets of conversation from our conversation that we had off the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. And I, I am working on a book. I've been working on a book for two years. So one of these days I'm actually going to publish. But, um, yeah. You're going to be publishing a book next year. It's called Your Thesis. Yeah. Oh, you mean your yes. other, you mean your other book? Oh, that other there book, is. right. The, the yes. other book, Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. No, 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 the timing, I, the, the timing other, is everything. The other the other book is uh, Why is the Fat Man Hungry? And it's a book on paradoxes that make no sense until you look into them. And the core paradox is 
why is a man who obviously has plenty of energy in, on his body, a fat man has so much energy, why is he hungry? <laughs> and mm. and that the explanation of that takes about 20 chapters to explain. So, And there will be biochemistry and there will be an exam afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple choice, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, Jackie, it's really inspiring how Richard's journey, I feel, has moved from his personal, you know, and then he went to 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 influencing Carl through the podcast, influencing many others, and now, you know, there's this prospect of, you know, what he's going to be doing through his research in terms of his next layer or his next um, his next project work is going to be the next round of his influencing. So I'm quietly optimistic for, um, you know, what Richard will be doing in terms of his research for the future and um, what he's going to be doing for the keto community as well. Yeah, I think well, I think we need more researchers who are focused, who have an open mind in a way to think what else can we do and that's not just following the guidelines and everything that we've been told and trying to come up with different hypotheses and break them. And um, I also think, isn't it wonderful how he started on his journey for his own health? Not only has he impact other people, but his whole life has taken a complete detour to what he probably had expected when he was in his late 30s and he's on a completely different trajectory and even now in his 50s he's starting out on a new career fantastic and it's really fascinating um how i mean he says about me crediting you know his motivation but it was more about you know just encouraging him to 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 think about his contribution and by going back to university and having had the privilege of teaching many mature age students, they make the best students because they're so, as I call it, they've got their eye on the prize. You know, they know what they're doing. They're goal focused. Um, you know, not to say that some 18 year olds, when they go to university, aren't or don't have goals, but, you know, he's, he's had one chapter of his working career as um, a software developer. And now he's reimagined this as a computational, you know, biochemistry. Who would have, as you said, who would have thought that that's, that's where his journey would have yeah. taken him? And it's going to be really inspiring for the future as to, um, you know, what, what he will be doing. So all credit and all power to him. And um, I'm sure that we will look forward to his many, you know, publications that will come from his, his yeah. research. Very exciting. And I'm, I'm sure that you will agree that, yeah, the evidence um, and providing that evidence base is challenging, you know, as you said about the dogma and the dogma that comes with the current thinking that we need yeah, the evidence. Definitely. So, yeah. And certainly the role of influencers in our respective journeys has has really taken – um, our own our own journey with that as well because we may have started with one particular keto guru and as we've evolved we've moved on to to other gurus to to other influencers so that also shows our own maturity in the information that we are willing to you know accept as part of our journey with that we've moved on to, to different people as we've gone through 
And I know that we started, obviously, say many people started with Gary Torbs, Jimmy Moore, um, then we moved into fasting with Jason Fung. As we've evolved, and so too do we uh, open to other other people's um, journeys as well. But I think for Richard and Carl, I think it was their consistency, you know, that they were consistent in the messaging that they were giving us. Um, and that was, we certainly appreciated the quality of their messaging and the consistency to which they were um, producing their content as well. Something that we can inspire to, Jackie, you know. <laughs> we'll see if we're here, still here in two years' time. <laughs> we can dream about the 250 monthly downloads. So, um, yeah, that's certainly something yes. that we can aspire to <laughs> oh well we'll see so jackie where can we get the show notes for this episode so the show notes can be found at www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero two eight so jackie now we need to aspire to get carl franklin so there's a an invitation that we have to get um, this, the other half of the um, two kiddo dudes on the podcast. So, um, yeah, Carl Franklin, if you're listening, yeah, we, we've got an open invitation for you to come on the podcast. Yeah, that's down to you. you you've got to use your friendship there. Too. Yep, absolutely. Maybe you need to ask Richard to ask Carl. <laughs> well, we'll get to him somehow. And it was great to meet Carl when he was over in the UK. Two, no, last year, 2019, wasn't it? Hmm. So, so I mean, when you're when you're listening to this, we're recording at the end of 2020. So, yeah, yeah. it's about 18 months ago we met him. Well, you knew him, but you brought him to my little town. Yes. So that was that was quite a another fangirl moment. You know, poor Jackie. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice 
should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.